It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On Reds podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Head on over to BuiltBar.com and enter the promo code Locked On to get 20% off your next order. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Jeff Carr. I'm your host and super fan of the Cincinnati Reds, and I've turned my addiction into information for you. Each and every day, I'm going to bring you news, rumors, transactions, everything about the Cincinnati Reds. Thanks for joining me. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to today's episode, as it is a very special one. I have joining me today on the show, John Sadak, the brand new play-by-play voice for the Cincinnati Reds on television. Got a great interview coming for you today. This is actually going to be part one. Part two will be tomorrow. Just a lot of great stuff from John on today's and tomorrow's podcast. So you're not going to want to miss any of it. Make sure that you are subscribed. That way you don't miss any of it on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. But enough of that. Let's jump right into my conversation with John Sadak. All right, for today's Locked On Reds, I have with me a very special guest. He has been, and I just told him this, so I'll tell you guys this as well. He's been my favorite part of this offseason so far. One of the biggest gets for the Reds. Brand new play-by-play voice for the television side of things. John Sadak joins me today on the podcast. John, how are you? Are you buried in snow? Are you? Can you see the road? What What's it look like outside for you? Well, to be, to be honest, I, I don't really see much of anything except for stars these days, Jeff, and I, I appreciate you having me. Uh, to, to me, the biggest get of my offseason uh, was this tremendous opportunity. It's, uh, it's one that I was in pursuit of for a long, long time, uh, honestly, to be with any major league team, much less with a team with a, a, a history as long and as storied as the Cincinnati Reds and five world championships and countless Hall of Famers and, and a fan base like, like those that listen to this podcast and that load up the best opening day in baseball. And uh, I, I keep having these pinch me moments that I, I think I'm going to wake up any minute. Man, we are so close to spring training and stuff. It's, it's very nice to have you on board. I wanted to start off by asking, have you ever had Skyline Chili? I have. Yes, I've been to the area a handful of times before. Okay. Uh, so I have had Skyline Chili. I've had Grater's Ice Cream. Uh, we, we actually had a care package that we just got at the house yesterday that was loaded with Cincinnati, Cincinnati area goodies. And uh, so for me, a, a lot of it is stuff I have had before, but it's been a few years. For my wife and my child, they had never enjoyed it. And uh, so that they dove headfirst into the Grater's Ice Cream last night and, uh, and just adored it. Which flavor did you get? We got four. So my wife and daughter chose to go with the mint chocolate chip. I went with the chocolate chip. There's also a vanilla and a uh, like a raspberry chocolate chip, I think. Yes, that is the classic one. They they had one for a little bit, and this one was kind of crazy, but boldly Bearcat. It was 
red velvet Oreos oh. in the ice cream. And it was so good, but they had to discontinue it because Oreo discontinued the red velvet Oreos. And I was like, no, was my favorite. Uh, I, they kind of brought it back and it's, it's pretty good in its new iterance, but it's not as good as, as the other, the originals. Like are the McRib of ice cream a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Well, John, sir, I, I got some questions for you today leading into uh, coming here for Cincinnati. What got you started? What drove you to be a play-by-play sports announcer? Uh, honestly, it was by accident in research for an AP history class. Um, nice. I, I always loved sports. I mean, sports were, were my life in terms of my recreation and what I spent a lot of my side time doing. I was a terrible rec league level athlete. I was on the JV hockey team. Uh, my only varsity letter was on the math team. Uh, but when, when I was applying for colleges or even more so when I just took the SAT, I, I wanted to be an astrophysics major. I loved science. I loved math. Um, I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but the more I researched it, I'd have to get a terminal degree. That means I'm, I'm in college until I'm 25 to 30 years old. Sure. No matter what help I'd get, I'd come out with a mountain of debt. And then the money you made, at least at the time, was good, but I, I'd be shoveling out of debt for a long time. And the nerdy, fun stuff of doing the research, you don't really do. You spend most of the year soliciting for grant funding, basically sales, you know, but just written instead of face-to-face. And you're teaching or you're doing something else that's kind of industry adjacent in hopes of getting that one to two week span where you're probably in an ancillary role, part of a team that's doing something. And not to discount that, but that's not what I envisioned when I thought of the field. Sure. And, uh, and so I found myself my senior year of high school, honestly, uncertain of what I wanted to do. I, I was in a malaise of not even really applying to places because I, I just was so indecisive. And I did an AP history presentation on race relation in 20th century America. And basically the crux of it was did Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier impact America or reflect America. And of course, there's no real answer to that. It's entirely intertwined um, along with many of the other events of that time in our history. But one of the the key research pieces was the Sports Illustrated that had come out in 92, but this was in 95, 96 when I was a senior in high school when Arthur Ashe was named Sportsman of the Year. And in that issue, there was a, a big pullout on ESPN Sports Center, which I adored. I would watch, you know, three, four, five times a morning, and I would have it memorized by the time we were allowed to watch it in homeroom. Our high school basketball coach was the, my homeroom teacher for most of my years. Nice. And all my friends did too, we, we loved it. And when I read the sidebar on a day in the life of the production assistant, who made no money, who worked 90 hours a week, who did everything nobody else wanted to do, that was my aha moment. That was when it crystallized. I could work in sports. I could be in sports media. I could work on Sports Center. And yes, it would be my dream to be a host. But but even then, even in that instant, I knew well that's really unlikely. Like I don't even know if I can do it. Uh, it's got to be so competitive. But I saw the production assistant life, and I said, I know I can do that job. I know I can get that job. Because that's a job that turns over. It it pays so little and works so much. People move up or they leave the industry. So eventually, if I'm persistent enough, I can get in. And if I can get in, then I can move up. And if I'm not on air, maybe I could be a producer or a director. That same article described all these, the graphics person, the AD. um, And I would be content doing anything, no matter what the salary, if I could work in sports. And, And that was really the spark that drove me to it. 
Oh man, that thinking of just the the astrophysics and stuff. I always joke that if it's not batting average, my math skills are very uh, <laughs> inadequate. So, that's, so you're already way up above me on the smartness. I never actually majored in it. I, I had <laughs> wanted to major in it. I was a communications major, which is a totally different different situation. That I can speak to. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. So when you were coming up, did you have like a favorite announcer? Uh, see, if, I know that there's a lot, like when I think of my favorite announcers and stuff, but when you think of yours, who were your favorites? Um, I think it depends upon the sport and the medium. I, I think there are, are strengths and weaknesses on radio and TV and in each sport. Um, in, in baseball, you know, uh, not really when I was growing up necessarily, but at this point, um, I love Dan Schulman. I love Brian Anderson. Um, I loved Bob Costas when he was on the run on NBC. I, I thought he had such a, a higher level prose-like feel to his storytelling um, and such a grasp and appreciation for the history of the sport. Uh, but then like TV football, I think, I think Al Michaels is the gold standard. I, I love Pat Summerall, but it, to me, Al Michaels has that perfect pacing, tone, resonance. Um, on hoops, I love Mike Breen. I love Ian Eagle. I love Kevin Calabro. Um, I mean, actually, it's I, I feel like I'm leaving so many people out. There are so many voices that I think are super talented and, and all come across it in, in different ways. Um, and that's probably what I learned the most when I was in the minors is uh, there was a three year stretch when MILB.com archived every minor league broadcast in its entirety for free. And uh, so I made it a point. This is when I was in April to listen to every voice from every team for at least one full inning. And I came away from that thinking, oh my gosh, like there are a ton of really talented guys and many of whom I've never met. Uh, Mike Caps in Round Rock, Russ Langer in Las Vegas, Ryan Radke in Reno, uh, Josh Wetzel in Rochester, let alone the guys that have actually made it to the big leagues too. Uh, right. Super, super talented people. I, I always think of just the different list of people. And like you mentioned, Al Michaels, like starting from the Reds broadcast and going through everything that he's done, he's a gold standard kind of guy. Just I, I always wonder who people look at because I always think of um, good old Vin and, and, of course, Marty. And here in a minute, I'm going to ask a little bit about your style and, and how you call the games and things like that. But before we get into that, I wanted to let everybody know about this continuing deal with betonline.ag. In fact, looking at the lines right now, if you were to go to betonline.ag and look at the Reds' odds to win the NL Central, the value's gone up. Now, part of that's got to be with Pakoda coming out with their projections and saying that the Reds probably will win 79 games and finish fourth. According to betonline.ag, the Reds are still the second best odds to win the NL Central at plus 350. They've got the Cardinals at plus 120, the Reds at plus 350, the Brewers at plus 375, and the Cubs at plus 400. And if you're asking what the Pirates' odds are to win the NL Central, then you're doing it wrong. And the best place to go bet on that is betonline.ag. Go set up your account right now and enter the promo code Locked On to get a 50% initial deposit bonus. So take that bet, go throw some money on the Reds to win the division, and use the promo code Locked On to get 50% more money 
from them whenever you put in your initial deposit bonus. BetOnline.ag is the official sports gambling sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network, and you can check them out with this awesome offer of Locked On for 50% more on your initial deposit bonus. Also take that promo code and head on over to BuiltBar.com and get 20% off your next order of the amazing protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I'm serious. Every time someone takes a bite of a Built Bar, they're like, wow, this thing is good. This is some good snack food. You don't feel like you're eating that healthy crap. You know what I'm talking about. The stuff that you take a bite of and you're like, was this actually food? Did I actually eat something? Built Bar is amazing. They use 100% real chocolate, but it's so healthy for you, you're not going to have any guilt whatsoever. And they've got amazing flavors like the brand new Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar. You've also got Cherry Barcia. You've got chocolate peanut butter, double chocolate, all kinds of great stuff. Check them out, BuiltBar.com. And put in that promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order. Built Bar statistics are through the roof when it comes to healthiness. They've got amazing numbers looking at the fact that they've got 17 grams of protein in some of these bars. Check them out, builtbar.com, and enter that promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order. And with everything going on in the sports world today, check out Locked On today so that you are in the know on everything. Be that dude that knows every single thing going on in the world of sports at the water cooler talk. Or be that chick that impresses all the guys at the bar with her sports knowledge and do it with Locked On today. They will cover all of the big sports stories every single day from every single sport all in one place. Locked On today. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. When you look at these different sports. Uh, I had the chance I was producing with uh, Mo Egger whenever he was talking with you last week on the show on sports talk, 700 WLW. And he had mentioned all the different sports that you had called. And basically it's easier to count which sports you haven't than which sports you have. When you look at all of those different sports, the challenges of football, the challenges of basketball, how do they differ from the challenges of calling a baseball game? Uh, I think baseball is the hardest sport to call. And, and I would say more on the radio than TV, to be honest with you. Uh, because, and increasingly in today's world, more than ever, because the ball is in play less. Right. So most play-by-play, particularly on the radio, TV is more captioning and setting up the analyst and, and ver- brevity is key in television and kind of setting a tone. You don't even necessarily always speak to what's the action you're kind of putting it in context or underscoring it in some way. Where radio play-by-play, you're literally describing everything. You know, the environment, the uniforms, the, the sounds, the feel, the reaction of the crowd, everything. Um, but because baseball has the ball in play so little by nature, and increasingly over the last you know decade plus, the rest is a blank canvas. That's all you. That's your research, your personality, your reaction to things, the direction you want to give it. Um, so it's, it's a great challenge and it's real artistry to me. I, I think all announcing is to some extent, but you know, when you're doing basketball or football, which I adore, and I think there's tremendous skill to, it's a little more formulaic, you know, football is down in distance, time and score formation, play analyst, maybe a commercial repeat, uh, basketball is, you know, 10 half naked people that you can readily identify on the floor that you're sitting 15 feet away from. And it's really just the pace and the tempo that can, can get a little higher. And you need to kind of match that cresting up and down. 
And to me, the challenge, if you do multiple sports is number one, the terminology, like when I first did hockey more regularly, I wanted to call a puck a ball, even though I played hockey more than any sport most of my life, but I've been programmed in my brain to call what the players are moving around a ball and every other sport. And, and it would just slip, not every reference, but one every, you know, 20 or so. Like, no, it's not a ball. We're not in high school gym class. This is ice hockey. Um, but, and I think the pacing, I would find for me, when I would come off the NCAA tournament and then go into my baseball season, my baseball was too hurried. It was too fast. And then similarly, when I would start football, usually overlapping with the end of my baseball, my football was a little too measured, too slow. Energy level was a little too down at some moments uh, because that's, you know, baseball is more languid phrasing. You peak at the, the big, big moment, you know, when that, that gapper is going, spike in energy and volume and, and try to match the moment. But the rest of it is conversational. Football is not conversational. Football is, you know, a lot higher energy. So I think that's the hardest thing is that natural flow, almost like if you're in the ocean, you know, all day and you come home later that night, you still feel like you're bobbing in the waves. There's a natural sense of that as an announcer. So what do you take away from the guys who have been in the booth before you here at Cincinnati? Uh, that there's a tremendous standard, you know, it's uh, and it's something that certainly reverbed with me just when I first heard about the opportunity, but has been incredibly underlined and and bold faced and exclamation pointed by the fans. You know, everybody's been overwhelmingly positive and welcoming, um, but there, there's been a consistent message, too, of, you know, there are big shoes there. And, uh, and I'm not looking to fill anyone's shoes. I'm, I'm my own person, just as they were their own person. And right. and people will grow to like me and some will grow to dislike me over time. That's just you know, the nature of a subjective business like this. Um, but I, I want to do the best job that I can uh, because, you know, all those that have come before have been so fantastic. Um, yeah, I got a call from George Grand last night, who I'd met a handful of times before. Uh, when I was in AAA, the team was in the AAA championship and uh, won the IL, beat the PCL champion. It was Yankees versus Padres. And he, for a long time, has done the national television on NBC Sports Network with Jim Cott, a guy I listened to a lot growing up. And uh, was such a a sweet, sincere, professional, welcoming uh, man who I I told him last night, like he he treated me like an equal then when I was certainly anything but, and and was just so kind and so talented, Um, you know, emceeing the Hall of Fame ceremonies as long as he has, you know, you know, let alone what the, the Marty Brenneman has accomplished over his time. You know, we go back to the Wait Hoyt era. It's uh, there's a tremendous legacy of that booth and and one that I, I hope I can be a small part of that continuing fabric and to whatever extent the fans will allow me to be. Did George Grant give you permission to use Votto V for victory if he hits a walk off home run? He did not. He gave me a lot of nicknames <laughs> for folks I would meet along the way. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if he, if he granted licensing just yet. I, I probably have to write a check for that. <laughs> I always love that call when he did that. He was one of my favorites on the, on tele. I, I love it. I think I'm adding you to the booth is just going to be so awesome this season. Uh, when you look at the field, what is your favorite position? I know it's kind of a weird question when you're looking at the field, but like, I always think of it and not to give, put an answer in your head, but like, I always think of like the catcher. He's like the field general. He kind of directs everybody around. When you look at the field, what is your, what position do you have the most respect for maybe? Yeah. Well, I I would say, I mean, kind of parking off what, what you're talking about. um, And this is a question I've been asked a handful of times this week. 
Um, the players that I probably had the best relationships with over the years were usually the catchers uh, and, and probably even more so backup catchers. Um, that is a, a role of such incredibly hard work, uh, ingrained humility, um, tremendous work ethic. Uh, you got to be really smart. And, and even more so, you have to have the right temperament. And I think particularly at AAA, where I was for the last five years of my minor league run, uh, AAA is a weird animal. Uh, it depends upon the organization and the era. I mean, I think not that long ago, most organizations use AAA as a holding tank. Mm -hmm. This is where you put your six-year free agents, you sprinkle a handful of prospects, but the prospect level was really double-A for most teams for a long time. And you might get a, a smattering of games, cup of coffee in AAA, but if you were an accelerated major prospect and the stars aligned with major league need, you could sometimes jump that level outright or only be there for a small span of time and shuttle back and forth. Sure. Uh, I think that's changed. It certainly did for the Yankees when I was there, literally my first two plus years it was more the former and then it became the prospect level um and then there's more on that backup catcher regardless of how that clubhouse is composed because everyone knows they're a step away and everyone is either really happy about that or really bitter about that and sometimes those two forces don't necessarily work great together and that the catchers, in particular the backup catchers, kind of in the middle because you're straddling pitchers and position players and you're out there for early work all the time and, and you're looked to as a veteran for advice. And generally, organizations are looking for guys that not only can catch and call a good game, that, that's great. But I think the number one trait, and I'm curious what GMs would say if we asked a bunch of them, uh, they want someone with the right emotional and mental temperament to almost be built-in psychologists to kind of get that feel for everyone uh, and, and to be able to relate to everyone and be that extra coach uh, in some, some instances. Um, you know, Austin Romine and Eddie Rodriguez had served those roles uh, when I was at AAA. And there, there was a stretch where Austin was the starter too. And there was also a stretch when he was a backup. And Eddie had, uh, had gone from literally A ball to the big leagues when he was with the Padres, but had been plucked out of coaching rookie ball for the Red Sox to be the backup catcher at AAA for the Yankees to help groom Gary Sanchez. Uh, and he's now the catching coach with the Marlins. Romine, we'll see a lot in the division. He just signed with the Cubs. Um, but both of them just resonated leadership. And when you spoke to them, you could always speak to them. They were always approachable. They really sounded like second managers. And you could easily see either one of them managing a major league team. It would just be a matter of timing fit. And, and do you want to deal with the headaches that can come with the positives of a job like that? The psychologist aspect is even truer nowadays where they keep trying to limit how many mound visits they can have. And you got to be more effective with less visits and less talking tos, but you're right. I mean, you see Tucker go out there and he kind of almost gets a, get, you know, shakes up his shoulders. He's like, all right, come on. You just got to chill out. Got to throw me a strike or two and we'll get out of this and, and let's move on. You know, he's got to be able to do that. And that's definitely a trait that you're not going to see in the stat book or anything like that. So it's harder to, for a fan to kind of monitor that, but that, that that's totally true. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I love catchers so much kind of playing off that a little bit growing up as a baseball fan, who was your favorite player? Depends upon the era. So I grew up uh, a Yankees fan and uh, I loved, I loved Mattingly, but everybody loved Mattingly. And uh, so it was kind of cliche to love Mattingly. <laughs> so I love Dave Winfield because I was always fairly big for my age 
Um, I'd never actually had his, you know, athleticism or robust power or outfield arm, but it, you know, my mind's imagination I did. Um, and then in a big contrast, I loved Ricky Henderson. Um, I, I mimicked his batting stance a lot. I would kind of crouch and curl the, the shoulder, uh, try to compress the strike zone. I had no speed whatsoever. I was right-handed, uh, but it was, uh, it, it, you know, Ricky was uh, a unique character and I loved players that oozed personality and and he just had dripping overwhelming personality um but it, it really depended upon the era and, and across the years there were so many that i liked and, and to be honest as i got older i found some of that team fandom uh kind of uh, it didn't slip away entirely but as i worked in baseball you come across these people and you meet them face to face and not that i was in the majors but you you start kind of rooting for good people you know, you, you want to see people that you know are good human beings uh, that come from a good background that treat people the right way. You want to see them do well. And uh, and so we, I've come across so many folks like that, including two guys that are on the Reds, uh, Mark Payton and Mike Moustakis. I, I had at uh, AAA and, and Moose I had when I was in high A with the Royals system. Um, they had uh, Eric Cosmer, Salvador Perez, Danny Duffy, Mike Montgomery, uh, Kelvin Herrera, Jordano uh, Ventura, all came rocketing through the system right around that same time frame. I know you had mentioned that you've announced AAA games, and I think it was Scranton Wilkesbury, wasn't it? Correct, yes. Did you ever see Michael Scott, Dwight Schrute, or uh, Jim Halpert running around? Yes, get this, right? <laughs> they had an office reunion at our stadium. My first year calling the games, but think about this. For them to have the office reunion at the stadium, where is the team? Team is actually outside of Scranton, isn't it? The team is on the road to have the oh. stadium available. So I travel with the team. So, yes, they were all there, and <laughs> I didn't get to go. I was literally the only person in the front office that couldn't go see it. So I'm getting deluged by texts and emails from friends. Oh, my goodness, did you meet him? Did you hang out with him? Do you have pictures? No, I'm in some other IL North city and I saw none of it. <laughs> like I went to the bar and cried myself to sleep that night. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's awesome though. Yeah. Always a big fan of the office. And that's going to do it for us here today though. We're going to continue the chat with John Sadak tomorrow, getting his take on what the Reds look like, what he is looking forward to the most calling his first season of games at Great American Ballpark. That's all on tomorrow's podcast. Thank you for listening to today's, though, and downloading. Make sure that you're subscribed. That way you don't miss anything that we've got going on soon. Got a great podcast topic, something a little bit off the beaten path, coming up at the end of this week. We're going to look at an idea that the Green Bay Packers have done when it comes to sports ownership and see if it can work for the Reds. I don't know exactly what this all entails. There's lots of details going on, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You're not going to miss that. And everything else that we've got going on ahead of spring training, the best way to not miss any of it is to subscribe. And also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. Oh, and also get those questions, comments, reactions, whatever you've got in to the Locked On Reds line at 513-549-0159. We'll have us a just junk mail segment or two on the podcast this week. So get them in. We've got a lot of great stuff on there already. That's 513-549-0159. But that'll do us for us here today. Thanks again for listening and downloading. I will talk to every single one of you tomorrow. Let's go, Rex. Hey.
Hey Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.